Father, at this time we come before you asking that your spirit would continue to be with us, that your spirit would continue to guide us. Father, we pray that the truth of your word would continually be the source in which we gain wisdom from, the source which we gain knowledge from, the source that directs our lives, that directs our hearts, that directs our thoughts. Father, this morning, as we think about specifically our mission as a church and the calling that you have placed upon Mike and Missy and their family, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to be as passionate about the proclamation of the gospel as you are. Lord, I pray that our passion would increase to see your glory proclaimed and embraced among all the nations of the world. That our desire to see our lost neighbors, our lost family members, and the lost of Toronto, and the lost of the thousands of other people groups, Father, that our passion to see these lost come to Christ, to come to embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to come to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, to come to embrace Jesus as the rightful King of the universe. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be engaged with that, that our hearts would desire that, and that our hearts would be broken over the truth that millions of people right now, have never heard the truth of your word. They've never heard of Jesus' atoning death and his resurrection. They've never heard of the freedom from sin that is offered in the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would break at that truth. And, Lord, may you guide our time this morning. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, This morning is a uh, special time because we are able to uh, say, in some senses, uh, an official farewell to the Siemens, but we do it uh, in a biblically appropriate way in light of what the Lord has called them to do. And uh, so what we're doing is called a commissioning service. And I know that uh, I've had several people ask that what that was, or they've never heard of that, and and uh, so it's good. It's good for Mike and Missy, I hope, uh, and it's good for our congregation uh, to do something that uh, is done in the Bible, and that is to officially, as a congregation, to send out those whom God has called to the mission field. And uh, the best example of this is seen in Acts chapter 13 in the verses that we read to begin the service. And in those four verses, you saw that, that inside of the church, uh, there were people with different sets of gifts. That some God had gifted with the ability to teach, and some uh, with other types of giftings. And part of those giftings that come from God is a, a gifting and a calling to go to new places to start new work in the hope of starting new churches. And Paul and Barnabas were the first missionaries that were sent out by the church. And so the church gathered together and they, they sent them out, they commissioned them. So this morning what we're doing is we are sending out Mike and Missy, that we are affirming uh, their call 
as a congregation and pledging our support uh, behind them. So as we, as we reflect upon this, and, and we're going to be looking at several different passages this morning, as we, we do this, there's two different things I want to, uh, for us to think about for a few moments this morning. The first one is the commission that the church has been given, and that specifically Mike and Missy have been given, and then the cost of fulfilling that commission as a church and for Mike and Missy. So the first thing is our commission. Now, what does the word commission mean? Uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, as with many words, you get uh, several different definitions. But one that is best fitting for our circumstances is, is you could do one or two, but one is a, it's an authoritative order or charge that is given. Or it's authority that is granted for a particular activity or function. So, so if you are getting a commission, then you are, uh, are, are being commanded to do something or either given the authority to do something. And when we think about commission in the sense of the biblical sense, that the church, the local church, so Redbud Baptist Church is a local church who claims Jesus Christ as its head and therefore falls under the authority of Jesus and the authority of under His revealed Word, has been given a commission. And one of the clearest uh, uh, outlinings of that commission is from a passage that we call, what? The Great Commission. So it's not coincidental that it's purposely called the Great Commission. Because in that passage at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So Jesus saying, all the authority in all of the universe has been given to me. And then in verse 19 he says, therefore, so in light of the fact that I've been given all authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Now, who was Jesus talking to then? He was talking to the apostles. And that the apostles were the ones that started the New Testament church. And that that commission that was given to the apostles remains valid for us today. So when you ask what is one of the commissions that the church has been given by God, It is to make disciples of all nations. And in the New Testament, the way disciples are made, they're made through the development and the starting of churches. And so that we as Redbud Baptist Church have a biblical commission, not from me, not from the International Mission Board, not from Baptist men, not from the state convention, but from Jesus Christ, our head, to make disciples of all nations. And you see this from Genesis to Revelation. In the opening chapters of Genesis, what is the mandate that God gives to Adam and Eve? He blesses them. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and what? Fill the earth. So that even in Genesis 1, it's God's desire that the earth be filled with people who love Him, who worship Him, who serve Him. That's in the opening chapter of the Bible. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation... John sees a vision of heaven. And one of the things that he sees in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 is that he sees representatives from every nation, people, tribe, and language standing and bowing and worshiping before the king, saying salvation belongs to our Lord. So that the end goal is not different from the beginning goal. 
That as the nations fill the earth, God's desire is that all of the nations, every language group, every people group, every different culture, comes to know Christ as their King. And that in this vision that John has seen, he has seen that it will take place. So this is not something that we're wondering, well, I wonder if the gospel will ever penetrate all of these unreached people groups. The answer is that it will penetrate. Because God has said that it will. And that in John's vision of heaven, he sees representatives from every people group in the world. So those thousands of people groups that exist right now that have no access to the gospel, we know that they will one day get access to the gospel. And so, how does that happen? It happens through Jesus giving to the church, to us, as followers of Christ, a commission, an order, a command. Go therefore into all nations and make disciples. Now how is that done? In, Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, Paul outlines that. He talks about, he says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he asks the, name of, he asks the question, well, how can they call upon someone that they don't believe in? And how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if someone hasn't preached to them? And how can they preach to them unless someone hasn't sent someone? So yes, God has ordained and purposed that there will be representatives from every tribe, tongue, and language, and people in the world that will come to faith in Christ. But He has also ordained the means in which that takes place. And the means in which that takes place is through the work of the local church. That just as in the Acts, in Antioch, in, the, in this early church, there were men with various gifts, men and women with different various gifts, And some of those were called out to take the gospel out. And the church sent them out. That we as Red Bud Baptist Church have a biblical responsibility to recognize those who have been gifted in our midst. And who have been called of the Lord to go and leave here and to go to other places to start new works. And to affirm them in that. And to send them out. And so this morning we have gathered to publicly affirm what God is doing in Mike and Missy's life. That we as a church are united in saying, we affirm your calling to Toronto. And that we desire as God's people to send you out to Toronto, just as Paul and Barnabas were sent out. The most updated statistics from the International Mission Board say there are 10,782 people groups that are existing in the world today. Of those number, 4,688 are classified as what's called last frontier peoples, which means that these 4, 000, over 4,000 groups have either no access to the gospel or they have no one engaged in church planning among them. So that's 43.5% of the people groups have yet to have adequate access to the gospel. And how does this fit into Toronto? Toronto claims to be the most ethnically diverse city in the world, meaning that there are likely many members of these unreached people groups that are living and dwelling in Toronto. 
So is it, is it of eternal significance what Mike and Missy are doing? And the answer is yes. Because our hope and prayer is, is that there will be men and women from people groups who have never heard the gospel before that under God's providential direction have ended up in Toronto. Maybe they're from countries that we can't openly send missionaries to. Maybe they're from Saudi Arabia. Maybe they're from Iran. Maybe they're from North Korea. All these different places to where we can't send missionaries into. But yet in the Lord's providence, He's brought them to Toronto for no other purpose than hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. So that they would be numbered among those that John sees in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. That their language would be one of the languages that, are, that is being represented before the throne of Jesus Christ. And so we as a church have a commission to do that. And to send Mike and Missy out. But Mike and Missy also have a commission. That just as we are not all called to do the same thing, we want to recognize their calling and the commission that they have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting in this passage from the book of Acts is that it's very different from uh, what happens in a lot of our churches today. A lot of times in our churches we have people saying, strictly looking at it from a very individualistic perspective. They're saying, well, this is what God has called me to do. There's never any seeking of counsel of church leaders. There's never any seeking of counsel from friends or deacons or pastors or Sunday school teachers that can affirm those things. But what's interesting in this passage in Acts verses one through four, 13, 1 through 4, is that the church was gathered together and they were, they were worshiping and they were praying and they were fasting. And the Holy Spirit actually spoke to the church in what appears to be before He spoke to Paul and Barnabas. And He says, hey, those Paul and Barnabas, I've called them to go out and be missionaries. And therefore you set them apart. And so, as we have gotten to know Mike and Missy, and as they have shared what the Lord has been doing uh, in their hearts, and as they first told us of this news, I guess over a a year ago, uh, I didn't meet anybody in our congregation uh, that thought that was a little odd that God had called them to do that. But in fact, I found the opposite. Where people were affirming that, yes, we, we are seeing that Yes, we are sad to see you go, but at the same time we are affirming that this is the Lord's direction for your life. And that's an important role for the church to play. Because just as I, if I came here and told you, well, I feel like the Lord's calling me into music ministry, full-time music ministry, the most biblical thing that you could say as a congregation is, Corey, we don't know maybe exactly what God's calling you to do, but we know what He's not calling you to do. <laughs> and that's music. Because He hasn't gifted you in that ability, with those abilities. And that's not wrong. It's not mean. It's not hateful. It's not judgmental. It's simply recognizing of the biblical role of the congregation. And that is to affirm or unaffirm giftings in its members. And so as Mike and Missy have been as the church has been commissioned with the authority to take the gospel to the nations, then we as a congregation commission you as a family with the authority to take the gospel to Toronto and to do it in the Lord's power and in His grace. 
And we affirm that in your life. Now the second thing, after we think about commission, is the cost. Reality is, is that, you know, you always say, well, nothing's free. Well, guess what? Fulfilling the commission isn't free either. It's difficult. It's a cost for the congregation and a cost upon you and your family in different ways. First of all, in regard to our congregation, rent isn't free in Toronto. Food isn't free. Gas isn't free. Insurance isn't free. Church buildings aren't free. Materials aren't free. Everything costs money. And who has God given the responsibility to do mission work? Starts with a C. The church. Good, good. Will God supply the necessary means to fulfill what He's called us to do? Will He do that? Yes, He will do that. Do we have a responsibility to support those whom we send out? And the answer is yes. So we wouldn't be doing much of sending out if we patted Mike and Missy on the back this morning and said, we love you, uh, and then we didn't do anything else. We have a financial obligation to do everything within our means to support Mike and Missy. A biblical financial obligation. Now, does Redbud have the ability to send $100,000 a year to Toronto? No, we don't have that ability. One day we might, but we don't now. But we do have some abilities to do some things. Unfortunately, a lot of times our churches confuse a church and a bank. What's a bank's job? When you give your money to the bank, what do you expect them to do? Hold on to it, right? If they don't, we have a problem. You're expecting them to do what? To save it. To invest it, save it, make it grow, prosper it. And if you give them $1,000 one week, that when you go back, you expect there to be a minimum of $1,000 in the bank. That's the job of the bank. The job of the bank is to save, guard, and hold money. Is that the job of the church? Will God be mad on the day Jesus returns if we have a zero balance in our checking account? And the answer is no. Is it possible that He is displeased if we have money in the bank when He returns? I would say it could be possible. Why have we been given financial resources as a church? To save them or to spend them? To spend them. Okay? There's no biblical support for a church acting like a bank. Now, there are different financial responsibilities for families, banks, and businesses, and church. When it comes to a church, our job is not to save money. People, I know that when I give money, I expect us to spend the money. Because if I want to save money, I'll put it in my bank account, or I'll give it to another somewhere to save money. I'll put it in a CD. But we have been given a biblical mandate by God to take the gospel to the nations. And so what do you think He expects us to do with the resources that He's given us? To use them to take the gospel to the nations. To use them to see people come to Christ in Franklin County. 
in Nash County, in the state of North Carolina, throughout our country, in Toronto, and to the ends of the earth. And so, as we commission Mike and Missy, part of us commissioning them is us committing as a congregation to recognize that with that comes a cost for our congregation. And a cost that we are willing to bear. And a cost that we are willing to say, as much as the Lord allows us, we are going to contribute our financial resources, our time resources, our energy resources, to seeing a church planted in Toronto. But there's also a cost for Mike and Missy. Unfortunately, part of living in America is you know, it's a, the curse of the blessing in some sense. We live in a nation that is extremely prosperous financially. And we live in a nation that strives on eliminating discomfort. How many of the things that we have and buy and do, and, and when you start unpacking the layers of everything, you realize that so much of this stuff is meant to alleviate discomfort and to alleviate suffering. Now, alleviating suffering is a good thing. But what can happen as we do that is that we become immune to a willingness to suffer difficult things for the gospel. And I wish that I could tell you, Mike and Missy, especially Missy as a female, as a mom, that when you move to Toronto, everything's going to be fine. Uh, but my guess is that from July 2012 to July of 2013, your first year there will probably be the most difficult year of your life. And that the days that you wish you weren't there will probably outnumber the days that you're glad you are there. And that many nights you will probably cry yourselves to sleep. And many nights you will wonder why in the world have we left our family? Why have we left uh, job security? Why have we left towns that we love? Why have we left people that we love? Why have we done all this? And if someone knocked on the door at about 10.30 that night and they said, I've got a helicopter right out here, we'll load you up, no questions asked, and we'll fly you back to Cary, we'll, we'll drop you in right at your, grand, your parents' house, uh, that the temptation would be to accept that offer. But I'm praying that no helicopter comes. And no man knocks on the door in the middle of the night offering that opportunity. Because the reality is, as we look at the New Testament, it is very contrary to what we hear on TV on Sunday morning oftentimes. And on other religious stations. So we hear the idea that God loves you, therefore God desires no suffering or pain or difficulty for your life. And therefore if you just have faith in Him... He'll bless you financially. He'll bless your job. He'll bless your family with no sickness, no danger, no harm. And I just find a very different message in the Bible that I'm reading. And what you see in the book of Hebrews, as the author is talking about the example from the Old Testament, he gives these uh, examples of these Old Testament uh, men and women of faith. He says they were mocked and flogged they were put in chains. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. 
I've never seen that promise in God's little promise books that we get, you know, that you have the possibility of being sown into. Or they were killed with a sword. In the New Testament, when we look at Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas are sent out, everywhere they go, what do we see? We see two things. We see one, we see people coming to Christ, but we also see severe opposition. That Paul and the others are stoned, they're beaten, they're imprisoned. They suffer a cost. And so we as a congregation and you as a couple have to be aware that the New Testament doesn't promise you an easy road from here out. It doesn't promise you that your kids are going to be okay. It doesn't promise you that you're going to be okay. It doesn't promise you that they're going to have great schools to go to. It doesn't promise you that, that Mike's going to have money to do whatever he wants to with you. And that it doesn't promise that, that Missy's going to be safe. But it does promise that God will be with you and that He will be faithful. And His faithfulness is different than what we describe faithfulness sometimes. Sometimes we want to think faithfulness is protecting us from anything. But that's not the faithfulness that God offers. God is faithful to be with His people in the midst of whatever trial and tribulation comes your way. So as Peter wrote wisely, uh, I will simply read uh, his words. So Mike and Missy, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So when you develop relationships with people and you share the gospel with them and they laugh at you, they call you narrow-minded, bigots, fundamentalists who aren't open-minded, who don't love them. But Peter says, don't be surprised. When people betray you that you're trying to be gracious to and win the gospel with, don't be surprised. When hardships come, don't be surprised is what Paul, Peter is saying and what we are saying to you this morning. But in that, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So there is a cost for this congregation, and there is a cost for Mike and Missy and their family. So as we're praying for them, let us be mindful of the difficulties that they will face, that the road that they are embracing is not an easy road. It's one that's filled with trials and tribulations. It's filled with days and months of depression. It's filled with heartaches. It's filled with difficulties. And so let us as a congregation not only pledge financial support, but let us pledge prayerful support. That we are pledging to be praying for them. That God would sustain them through whatever difficulties would come their way. That God would sustain them in their loneliness. That God would sustain them when the fiery trials come. And that through these trials and tribulations, that a glorious, beautiful bride of Christ, a new church would be established. One that is honoring to God and glorifying to God. So in all this, I will close as Paul closes in 1 Corinthians. 
where he is talking about the power of the resurrection. And he says in chapter 15, verse 58, and I say it to you, so therefore, my beloved brother Mike and my beloved sister Missy, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. So, at this time, what I want us to do is, I'm going to ask Mike and Missy to, to come up here.